Let me ask you, what kind of a learner are you? There are three types of learners. There's auditory, visual, and tactile. Auditory people, they can hear something and they got it. Anybody here an auditory, you, you hear it, you, you hear it and you kind of got it. Anybody like that? Okay, a couple auditories. How about visual learners? If you see it, you, you, you got it together. We got some visual learners? Okay. All right. How many tactile learners? You have to do it. It's not just to hear about it, see it, but you got to get your hands in there. You actually have to do it. All right. Yeah, I'm a tactile learner. Okay. I, I, I have to get in there. I have to do it. Uh, in, in some ways, it's a good thing. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's a bad thing because sometimes I just tend to jump in and do things. And sometimes I wish I hadn't have jumped in and done it, but I didn't know how it was going to work till I got in the middle of it. And sometimes you get in the middle of it and realize it isn't going to work. And you think, oh, if I had just been a visual auditory learner, I would have spared myself a lot of grief. Some of you all know that. You all shaking your heads, all of our tactile people out there. Yeah, that's one of the ways uh, that I'm a learner. Uh, there's a couple other ways that people tell us that we process uh, information or we're learners. One's a concrete learner and one's an abstract learner. Now, when you're a baby, you're concrete. You have to see things, you have to touch things and things like that. As you get older, you're supposed to be more of an abstract thinker. But I find for me, I'm a more of a concrete thinker. I like to see things. I like to touch things. I like to feel things. For me, I don't know about you, but abstract things are difficult sometimes to grasp. I have to really spend a lot of time thinking about that. Sometimes I, I love to listen to what's called Christian apologetics. And sometimes I have to listen to the answer and I have to turn off the, the phone or whatever I'm listening on and process it for about 10 minutes because I just have to figure out what in the world was that person saying in that statement and things like that. So I'm more of a, of a concrete learner. Let me ask you another question. Which is easier for you to believe? Something somebody tells you or something you can actually touch and see and hear? Which is easier? Something somebody just tells you is truth versus something you can actually see and touch? The latter, you see and touch, right? I get that. You know, here's the thing. When it comes to faith, God, we can't see God, right? We can't touch Him. He's, he's not standing here on stage and things like that. And so how do we accept there's a God? We see the evidence... And we say the evidence has to point to a God. There has to be a being. You can't get emotion from non-emotion. Something had to cause the effect that we are seeing. Something had to put everything into motion. Something of intellect had to create intellect, okay? I just don't have enough faith to believe that two rocks hit each other and here we are. I just don't have that enough faith. Now, maybe you do. But I don't, okay? So, but God is, is a hard concept to teach because to see sometimes for a lot of people, you know, again, sometimes I engage with atheists and stuff and they'll say, well, you've proved to me there's a God. I can't. I can show you the evidence. But you need to prove to me there is no God. Well, you can't do it either. We both have the evidence. So we both have to decide, do you believe there's an all-powerful, all-knowing being that created all of this or that somehow we're the matter of just two rocks. Now, so, so again, you look at the evidence for God and you say, okay, there must, at least we do, say there must be a God. It just doesn't make sense. I don't look at my iPad and say, wow, it's amazing that two people dropped a transistor and it created this. I mean, you say, no, something of intellect and precision and order created this. Okay? So, so we look at the world. But here's the other thing for a believer. The concept of salvation 
can be a real struggle sometimes. And, and, and I know, you know, when, when, if you've responded to Christ and you've, if you've asked his son to be your savior, you, you know, God doesn't email you a certificate. You don't get an email the next day say, congratulations, you're saved, here's your certificate. You don't have that to frame on your wall. I, I, you know, when I became a, a follower of Christ, I didn't hear a voice from heaven saying, welcome to the family. I didn't hear that. I didn't see an angel either. I didn't see that when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll have to admit something to you. Now, we, I, I, I um, grew up in Chattanooga under a pastor that said he never once questioned his salvation. Good for him. I'm going to be honest and tell you I'm not that spiritual. Because I've struggled at times with my salvation. I uh, was saved at the age of six. Uh, my parents had become converts about six or so months before. In, uh, right up here in Anderson, Indiana. The little church is gone now. But it was called uh, Southside Baptist Church. I remember the morning in 1973. I don't remember exactly the date. But I do remember on my own walking down the aisle and being in the springtime, and I remember Pastor Green, I told him I wanted to become a follower of Jesus, and I, he, he paired me up with a deacon who took me to the right-hand side room as you're facing the sanctuary, and uh, we sat down on two cold metal chairs, and he led me through the Romans' road of salvation, and I remember praying that morning and receiving Christ as my Savior, and I remember feeling something had changed. But I was only six years old, and so you get older, and you start learning about sin just by doing life. And you think, wow, as a six-year-old, did I really grasp the depth of all of this? And so sometimes I've had points in my life where I, I, I've questioned, did I really understand what I was doing? Did I really, really get it? And so I don't know about you, I think some of y'all are shaking your heads, have had those moments in your life where you think, am I really saved? Because I, I don't want to die and wake up in hell and say, I thought I was saved. And that, I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. And so I think sometimes, and, and I've been to some hellfire and brimstone revivals in my day. And some preachers that, boy, by the time they get through, you're scared to death. You're scared to death. I, I remember back at Southside Baptist Church on Sunday nights, we would have film night. Back in the days when they had those uh, reel-to-reel, you know, and, and one, one of those things was uh, the mark of the beast. And we watched that. I was probably too young to actually see that thing. But I remember having nightmares. Sorry, Mom. Um, you're okay. I, I remember having nightmares that I was in hell. Scared me to death. I've been in revival services where I'm like, oh my gosh, am I really saved? I mean, oh, whoa, and, and things like that. And, and, and sometimes maybe you've had a time in your life when you've, you've gone through a struggle with sin in your life. And you're like, am I really saved? Because I've got this struggle in my life. And you start thinking about that. Or again, you start as, as we get older in life and you start realizing that, hey, I've lived half my life. Um, and you start thinking, I, you know, my, my passing is, is imminent. And at some point, I'm still praying for the Lord to come back. But uh, if he doesn't, I'm going on and it's okay. But am I going to wake in heaven? And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've struggled with that. Some of y'all done that, struggle with those thoughts. And, and I know it's not something to be taken lightly. So I want to encourage you this morning. And I want you to examine your salvation to find out, am I truly a believer. And so I want to share with you what God's Word says about that. So I want you to take out your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 5 because we're going to look at this 
because we live in an increasingly global world, and we live in a world in which there's so many things out there being said, you know, this is what's truth, and this isn't what's truth, and things like that, and you've got all these religions now, and in America we're exposed to all this, and, and so sometimes it's easy to look at the, the Buddhists and say, well, maybe they got it figured out, or you look at the Islam, maybe they got it, you know, they pray five times a day, and they give alms, and they go to Mecca, and maybe it's all about that, and it's easy to look at the Jews, and wow, that was the, the you know, one of the granddaddy religions, maybe they're right, maybe we're wrong, and things like that, or, you know, so what do I believe, what, what is the truth about salvation? Let me tell you this, I've told you this before. All religions of the world can be wrong, but they cannot all be right at the same time. Because truth, by definition, is exclusive. And so while all religions can be wrong, they can't all be right. So what is the truth? What is the truth? So John, 1 John chapter 5, of course, as you know, John is dealing with a lot of, again, he's in his later years, the church is growing, it's maturing. At the same time, there's a lot of false teaching that's getting into the church. There's a lot of uh, false teachers that are permeating the church. It's a very young church. So you get people coming in and they say, hey, you know, hey, we'd love to have, you, you, you can teach, kind of, can't you, John? Yeah, sure, why don't you get up there and teach? And so John starts teaching, but sometimes John starts going off the rails and some people start following John. And, and so the Apostle John is really concerned about false teaching in the church. Again, you know, docetism is coming onto the scene where the belief that Jesus really wasn't a, a man and, and that his, he, he just inhabited a, man, a man's body for a short time and then right after the, uh, the baptism and then right before he was uh, before the crucifixion, he, he ascended to heaven spiritually, and it was just a body that was crucified. There was docetism, there was Gnosticism that was starting to bubble up, the idea that there's secret knowledge out there and, and, and things like that. So people were coming out with secret knowledge and, and things like that. And so there was a lot of confusion in the church, and a lot of people were getting confused about, am I really saved? Because you were having people saying, if you're really saved, you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you'll be, and all that. And so there's a lot of concern. And so I want to share with you this morning, and if you're struggling with your salvation, I hope, first of all, if you're not saved, you'll say, whoa, I'm not. I've been trusting in the wrong things. If you are saved this morning, you'll walk out here saying, I don't need to doubt this anymore. Okay? So let me share with you a few things this morning. Let me give you a fact. Fact. Salvation is obtained through faith in Christ. That is the fact. Salvation is obtained through faith in Christ. You say, where do you get that, Jim? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is this salvation for? Everyone. Everyone. In fact, he says it twice. Are you guys all a part of everyone? Okay, everybody, everybody here is part of everyone. Okay, we're all part of everyone, all right? So let me, just, let me just say this real quick. Salvation is not available only to those who grew up in the church. It's not only for the people in America. First of all, America didn't exist when John wrote this. It's not for just white people. It's not for rich people. It's not for anybody. It's for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. Now, but it's only available to those who say Jesus is the Messiah. It's only available to people who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's available to everyone. And I want to say this. I believe God's salvation is available to all. It's not available only to those who God flips the switch and says, okay, now you can believe. I don't believe that. 
We are totally depraved, but that doesn't mean we're totally unable to see that we need a Savior. And so salvation is available to everyone, and everyone is able at some point in their life to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if a person keeps saying no, 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 they're going to get hardened, their heart's going to get hardened, and eventually they get to the place where they can't respond because their heart's so hard. But everybody is able to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many people choose not to. But everyone's able to. And the reason I'm so dogmatic on that is because God is not a just God if you don't have the ability to respond to his offer of salvation. He would not be a just God if you don't have the ability to say, yes, I believe, or no, I don't. But you notice here, there's an action required. John says it's available to everyone, but here's the action, who believes. That is the action. It's only available to a person who places their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Let me just say this. Maybe you all came from different backgrounds. If you've been baptized as a baby, that does not make you a believer. You know why? Because a baby cannot believe. The parents may do that. And they may do that as an act of dedication or whatever. But there's so many people, I was baptized as a child, therefore I'm going to heaven. No, a baby can't believe. You have to make a personal response. This is not something somebody can do for you. This is not something you have to believe. Now, let me just say this. The action of belief doesn't have to be dramatic. C.S. Lewis, y'all heard that name, Chronicles of Narnia, all those things. He was good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings stuff. C.S. Lewis, one of the great, greatest Christian thinkers of the last century, was an atheist. For many, many years, he was an atheist. He, he worked with Bertrand Russell there, and, and Bertrand Russell never became a convert. And, and so Lewis was an ardent atheist, but he continued to struggle with his atheism. And if you ever read his biography, it was a long process and Lewis basically says, you know, he was at the point, he was really struggling with his faith. And as I remember writing his biography, he says, I got into the sidecar of a motorcycle. And somebody was driving me. When I got in, I was an atheist. By the time I arrived, I was a believer. Along the road, I said, okay, I'm done. I believe. I give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. So it may not be dramatic. On the other hand, it may be dramatic. We, we had a ministry at our church of First Baptist uh, called Celebrate Recovery. And there's, a, uh, there's several uh, conversions that stand out to me, but one night a guy named Michael came forward. And Michael, just he, he admitted, I'm not a believer, and, and he gave his heart and life to Christ, and he was just jumping around and shouting and raising his hands and just pumping his fists. And I mean, he was like, I mean, he was happy. He was dancing. That's good. Sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes it's not dramatic. It doesn't matter. Maybe you were like me, a six-year-old. Maybe you came became a follower later if you are one. But here's the deal. All at, at the end of the day, it's the action you have to believe. You have to believe. You have to place your faith and trust in Christ. Here, if, if I were to ask you this question, and my friend Greg pointed this out, and I think it's a great question. If your name, do you know if your name is written in the book of life? What would you say? If you say, well, that's a good person, wrong answer. Well, I kept the Ten Commandments. Uh, Wrong answer. Hey, I give money to the church. Wrong answer. If I were to ask you, do you know if your name's written in the book of life? The only answer is because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. 
If you give any other answer, then you need to make sure because you're giving an indication you're not a believer. You're trusting in the wrong thing. Again, go back to verse 1. John says, everyone, everybody who believes, who takes that action, who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. So again, you can say anything you want. And that's the big word in John's letter. We've looked at that. You can say you're a believer. You can say you're a Christian. You can say all these things. But you have to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because talk is what? Cheap. You can say anything you want because talk is cheap. And, and you know, I've noticed one thing in, in all the years of ministry. People that always come to the church who want a handout, and when you talk to them, and look, we're, that's why we're doing the blessing box. We want to be a blessing to our neighborhood. That's why we're going to do the clothes closet uh, probably in January, February. Still getting all that put together. That's why I want to do that. But I've noticed a lot of people when you say, okay, well, let me talk to you about your salvation. They're always going to tell me they're saved. You know why they do that? Because they don't want, they just want me to give them food. Now, that's not being callous, but I've just learned that over the years because, hey, I, I know he's going to ask me, yep, I'm saved, good. Well, you can say anything. All right, and maybe they are. I'm not saying everybody says that. It's not. But at the end of the day, you've got to prove it. In fact, that gives me the second thing here. Salvation is faith in Christ. It's obtained by faith in Christ, but it's proven by faith in action. We can all say, yes, I'm a believer, but it's proven by faith in action. Again, look at what faith in action looks like. Verse 1 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the One. Now, there's that word love. We've talked about that. Again, there were seven different words for love that the Greeks used, but the word that's almost exclusively in the New Testament is the word agape, which means self-sacrificing love for the good of another. And so John says, everyone who self-sacrifices the Father, who, who self-sacrifices for the Father, also self-sacrifices for the one born of Him. And here's what he, John, skip down to verse 3, because here's what John says. Now his commands, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Okay, so he says, here's, if you, here, the person that's truly a believer loves the Father, and here's what love for God looks like in verse 3. It's to keep his commands, and he says, and his commands are not a burden. Now, I know sometimes in the Christian life, we think, oh man, just so many burdens. Let me tell you something. If you feel burdened down by God, it's because you're doing it, not Him. It's so easy for us to strap burdens on people's backs. Here's God's commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and love one another. That's it. That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and love one another. In fact, do you? I was thinking about this the other day. I don't recall anywhere where Jesus said, now, if you love me, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, you will avoid all these other things. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will avoid all these things. He just said, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later, he tells the, the apostles to love one another. Again, that is God's commandment. So we are called, John says, look, if you truly, truly have believed, if you've truly, truly placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you will be willing to self-sacrifice and you will be willing to follow 
God. So he, he, what does that mean to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It means that I love Him with my thoughts. I love Him with my actions, my will. It means I love Him with my emotion, my heart. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? That's other God's command. It means I'm not going to do anything to violate my neighbor, to lead my neighbor in to sin. You know, in Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, the whole theme of that long psalm is the Word of God. Over and over, your precepts, your truths, your commandments, your laws. And here's the interesting thing. That whole Psalm 119 is all about God's law, command, precepts, it's Old Testament. But David says this all the way through the psalm. I love your law. I love your commandments. I love your precepts. I rejoice in the law. It's like honey to my taste. And in fact, in verse 4 of Psalm 119, he turns God's law into a song. He says this, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Here's David saying, look, I, I just love your commands. Because here's the deal. When I don't follow your commands, my life's a mess. My life is a mess. David knew that if he would just love the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, in the Old Testament, this is, this is the way that God had to do it before Christ. And, and David said, when I do that, there's joy, happiness, and peace in my life. Because you know what happened when David didn't do that. Committed sin with Bathsheba. At that point, it was painful. At one point, he stopped loving God's laws. And it was painful. So again, faith in action. If you go back to verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. Again, what is faith in action? It's not only loving God, it's loving others. It's loving other believers, those who have been born of God. A true believer will love, will self-sacrifice for other believers. And again, that's been the whole theme of one of the themes of John's letter, is if we are truly in fellowship with God, we will be in fellowship with one another. And, and, and if we're in fellowship with one another, we're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to strengthen one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to tell each other the truth, even when it hurts. I, I, I debated whether I should say it this week, but I'll tell you this. People that love to be around Jesus, the sinners actually like to hang around Jesus. If you read the Gospels, the people that Jesus called out, the people that Jesus called hypocrites, the people that John the Baptist called a brood of vipers were the religious people that were supposed to know better. This week, and the reason for that is because they were leading people astray. This week, I ran across a headline. Here's the headline. Here's what it said, literally. Liberal Lutheran pastor says it's okay to look at pornography as long as it's ethically sourced. This is a pastor of a church. She says, it's okay to look at pornography as long as it's ethically sourced and probably organic. I don't know. So she's telling her people, and by the way, her church has a minister of fabulousness. I have no idea what that is. Somebody's phone's ringing back there. It's not mine. So here is this Lutheran pastor telling people it's okay to sin. Telling people that it's okay to disobey Jesus' commandment. Because he says, if you look lustfully after a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery in your heart. But she's saying, oh, it's okay as long as it's ethically sourced. Crazy. Paul says, flee youthful lust. 
And it goes on, and in the article it says, she says this, according to this Lutheran. By the way, she spoke at a convocation of 30,000 Lutheran teenagers last year. She was the keynote speaker. She said this. Hang on, this is not my iPad. I don't know whose this is, but it's not going to do that anymore. Sorry about that. I hate technology. Well, sometimes. Here's what she said later in the article. If the teachings of the church are harming people, then we need to rethink them. This is a person that stands up as a pastor. Spoke to 30,000 youth last year as the keynote speaker saying these kinds of things. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's a pagan presenting herself as a pastor. I'm just being honest. I know that's blunt. I know that's not politically correct, but it's the truth. John would call her a brood of vipers. Okay, when you pray for her salvation, she needs Jesus. She doesn't know Jesus. She's playing church. She's not doing John 5.1. Everyone who believes loves the Father, willing to self-sacrifice, and is willing to do that for one another. In fact, if, if, in fact, if you know here in verse 5, verse 1, he uses the phrase, those who are born of God. John's basically saying the birthmark of a follower of Jesus is, A, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. B, they love the Father. They're willing to, to they self-sacrifice because they love God the Father with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're willing to self-sacrifice for one another because uh, of other believers who have been born of him. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 19, he uses that phrase, born of God again, and also in chapter 5, verse 18, and he says, those who are born of God do not practice sin. Her argument's with the Bible, not me, with what the apostles said. Her argument's with Jesus, with Paul, because he says, if you're truly a believer, you don't practice sin, and that means you don't live in habitual, willful sin. Again, you love your neighbor as yourself. So again, salvation, here's what John says. This is how we know love, we love God's children. We love God and obey His commandments. If you love God and obey His commandments, that's evidence that you love His people. Again, salvation is faith in Christ proven by faith in action. Look at what he says in verse 4. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Conquers the world. Stands above it. Says, I, nope. I'm not giving into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Whoever is truly born of God is able to say no. Again, that's what John said in chapter 2, verse 16. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Again, when David in Psalm 119 was loving the Lord's precepts and laws and when he was loving the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he was, he was an incredible king. But when David willfully chose to commit sin with Bathsheba and kill her husband, he was not conquering the world at that point. He was conquered by the world, by his sin, and he paid a heavy lifestyle. A true believer doesn't practice sin. A true believer is not conquered by the world, but
but rather conquers the world. And in fact, that's John's favorite description. He loves that phrase, conquers the world. In chapter 2, verse 19, he describes the young men as those who have overcome or conquered the evil one. In chapter 4, he describes uh, Christians as those who have overcome uh, those with the spirit of uh, Antichrist. And again, he says here in verse 5, 14, uh, that whoever, 5 verse 4, whoever is born of God conquers the world. Again, faith results in action. And when we put our faith in action, guess what happens? We have confidence. You see, if you're struggling with assurance of your salvation, it may be that you never really are a believer. So you need to go back and say, have I put my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone? I remember my dad telling me several years ago, a young lady in our youth group, uh, Michelle, came up to him and uh, was asking, Dad, I don't know if I'm saved. And my dad asked her, who are you putting your faith and trust in right now? And she said, well, I trust in Jesus Christ. He said, then you're saved. If you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you're saved. And if you put your faith, when you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, and if you will love him with that self-sacrificial love, and you and I will want to obey his commandments, which will love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we will love our neighbors ourselves, if we will love one another, guess what? What does that result in? Confidence. Not a fear, but a confidence. And you can say, yes, I know Christ. I'm not practicing and living in sin. I'm loving my Lord, my God, with all my heart. I'm loving my neighbor. I'm doing everything I can to be obedient to my Father. And what happens is you get confidence. In fact, he says this in verse 4. He says, this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. When you are walking with Christ, you have faith and you have confidence in the fact that you are His child. You won't be blown around by every new teaching that's coming out there. If you're truly in the Word and following Christ, you won't easily be drawn into sin if you're loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You won't be controlled by the flesh. You won't be controlled by the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And you won't be living in fear and doubt if you are truly placing your, if you've truly placed your faith in Christ and you are loving Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It you will have confidence. And look at verse 5. He says, And this is the one who conquers the world. And who is the one who conquers the world? He asks a rhetorical question. But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's full circle. Believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keep His commandments. Love those who have put their faith and trust Him. Love your neighbors yourself. And it comes full circle. You're a believer. Full circle. Full circle circle. The one who conquers the world is the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So let me just tell you this. The marks of a person who is not a believer, they'll say things like, well, I grew up in church, or I give money to the church, or I was baptized as a baby, or I was a good person. That's not a true believer. The marks of a true believer is they believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They love their neighbors or self. They love one another, and they don't live in sin. Those are the marks of a true believer. So here's my question. What is the proof of your salvation? Maybe you're looking back at your life and say, you know, I've been in church all my life, but I don't know that I've really ever completely placed my faith and trust in Christ. I was always trusting in something else. I was trusting the fact that I came to church, that when I stood before God, God would say, hey, you got a pretty good attendance record. I'll let you in. No. I, I was trusting that, hey, I, I got elected into an office of the church. I was a deacon. I was an elder. God's going to say, well, you know, sorry. 
You never put your faith and trust in my son. You loved the world more than you loved me. You're going to have to pay for your sins because you wouldn't accept my payment of my son on your behalf. So now you're going to have to pay. Depart from me, I never knew you. When you look at your life and you look at your life now, can you say, yes, I know I am a follower? If you can't, let's get it settled now. Watch it on Facebook. If you don't know that you know, let's get it settled now. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to honestly ask yourself, do I bear the marks of a true believer? Do I know that I know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ? Do I know that I have placed my faith and trust in him and him alone? I trust nothing else. I have no other argument, no other plea, but that Jesus Christ died for me. If you're saying, but this, but that, no, no, no. You need to place your faith in Christ alone. If you don't know for sure, then let's get it settled this morning. Lord, I just feel like Satan is really fighting this message. I really do. And I don't say that lightly. Because there may be somebody in this room who's watching right now. Or there may be somebody who's watching on Facebook. And you're really pulling them and convicting them. And and yet they... Satan is trying to distract them. Lord, there may be somebody in here that's been playing church all their lives, but they've never placed their 100% faith and trust in you and said, I believe. I believe. Maybe there's somebody watching by Facebook. Lord, I pray if that's the case, that right now they'll say, okay, God, I'm not going to play church anymore. I'm not going to trust on any of my good works. I'm not going to trust in who I am. The only thing I'm going to do is put everything I have, I'm going to trust you 100% completely. You and you alone. And Father, I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be the Lord of my life. I, Father, want to have you as my Savior. Maybe right now you just need to say that to him. Repent of your sin. Say, Lord, I turn. I don't want to live in my sin anymore. I turn to you. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. You Say it right now to him. If you don't know for certain you're a believer, deal with it now. Father, only you know our hearts. And you know that we can all say anything. But only you know our hearts. For those who are believers in Christ, and I pray everybody in here is, but for those who truly are, that we'll be encouraged and confident in our salvation, knowing what you did for us and what your word says, we are yours. Lord, again, if there's anybody here in this room or watching on Facebook who's struggling, I pray right now they'll just stop the struggle and give in to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and respond and stop running. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, this morning, if you're watching on Facebook, feel free to...
comment, and we'll be glad to get back with you. Maybe here in the worship center, you're, maybe you're struggling, saying, I, I don't know. I'll come up and see me afterwards, talk to you. All right? I might like, well, Jim, you know, I, what would people think? Who cares? Really? I mean, who cares? You know what? If they're true believers, they'll be happy. They don't, they don't care if you're 80 years old or 20 years old. They're just going to be happy. That you're part of the family. So don't, don't let Satan put that in that pride of life. Don't let him do that because a true believer will rejoice. Okay, even if it's my husband, what will he think? Hey, he'll be happy. All right, your wife, I should be happy. All right, do you know that you know?